stereo. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. How are things? Fantastic. I have my coffee this morning. Looks I like have you my got it as well. Yep. I'm, I am armed with an anonymous white cup today. <laughs> Likewise. We all, we all seem to have the same uh, anonymous white paper or implement. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, we have a guest today, don't we, Chris? Who's our guest today? It's Mike. Good morning, guys. Mike, Mike Taylor. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Hello, good to see everybody. Yeah. We've got a lot to catch up on. Man, you've been doing this uh, type of work about as long as the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> Longer than and I care. Yeah, and we haven't had a conversation in a long time. So this is uh, another one of those reasons why doing a show like this is so fun. We get a chance to catch up. Absolutely. Yeah. But maybe since uh, not everybody with us today has uh, a long association with you, Mike, maybe just give us the the thirty second bio, I guess, to introduce yourself. Yeah, so um, I am in Columbus, Ohio. I work for a startup called Mindset Digital. Uh, we do uh, social media, digital marketing, training for sales and marketing teams, and then we do some custom traditional e-learning work as well. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and we have a, an official topic today of rethinking your e-learning design. Blended. I have to read the rest of the title. Where did it go? <laughs> Blended and responsive with special guest Mike Taylor. So we got a lot Just of a things short to about. topic. We'll be done in about two minutes, I think. Yeah. Really? You know, blended? That's a piece of cake. Plenty of time for <laughs> coffee. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we've got uh, a nice group of folks with us. Uh, some comments already in the chat. Yeah, I, yeah. I was I was noticing are, your, uh, your your whiteboard uh, commentary behind you. There is awesome. Yeah, I thought that was appropriate for today. It definitely show. is. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan's mentioning that coffee is a learning aid, and it's. <laughs> I think it's um. <laughs> I think it's simply a life aid beyond just survival learning. aid. Yes, it's a survival tool. It really is. <laughs> Survival tool is it, yeah. For sure. Yeah, cool. yeah. Well, hey, you know what, um, Mike? Let's let you start us off with uh, sort of an overview of what you think of rethinking your e-learning design. Why do we? What does that mean in your world and some of the experiences you've had? Well, I think the foundational thing that we kind of briefly touched on before we started here was making sure you've answered some of those foundational questions of you know, what is our goal and and who's going to be taking it and where and a lot of those questions are going to drive you know if you can answer those well the, the direction you go will be relatively obvious um, so it's really important a lot of times people come to us with hey we need a course we've got to stop and confirm that the course of whatever type is actually going to solve the problem. So trying to stay out of that order, take your mode and not fall into the trap of, yes, sir. Would you like some fries with that? <laughs> can we, um, can, would you like to supersize that too while we're at it? <laughs> exactly. And the challenge, the challenge is, you know, it's hard sometimes to reframe those requests 
But if we don't, we're doing ourselves a disservice because when the training course doesn't work, they're going to look at us and say, why didn't your course not work? So I think it's super important to have those conversations, even if you ultimately lose educating our stakeholders and and management and stuff uh, in the long run, everybody's going to come out better. Yeah, so many of the people that we end up, you know, working with have something preconceived in mind um, based on previous experiences. Well, we we took a course on that, or we were we were taught that even. And um, so, part of I think our, our, we have a uh, we have a moral responsibility. I, I mean, I use that slightly facetiously, but but we really do have a responsibility to probe that that requirement and to ask it, hold it up to uh, the light, and say. Okay, but and you know what about maybe something else might actually you know be sufficient or you know different or better, um, and then you know other things like if you are going to um, pursue that course, how are we going to know that it worked? You know, if this is the solution that has to be done, how are we going to know that it worked? Yeah, I say it's kind of the Hippocratic oath of <laughs> e-learning, right? Do no harm, or minimize the harm if you lose that that battle, but. Uh, once had a compliance course inflicted upon about 30,000 of us that lasted 90 some minutes and it was just atrocious. So we, we shortened that to 11. And if you do the math, just putting people back on the job for those extra 80 minutes, that's over a million dollar savings off the bat. So this stuff makes a difference. Jonathan says you're doing the Lord's work there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you know, the the golden rule. I I always say, you know, I don't want to put out a course or or anything for that matter that I wouldn't want to take myself. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that right there is our Hippocratic oath, right? It's got to be close to that, right? Like if you're not willing to sit through something that you've created, then you shouldn't be putting other people through it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just respect of time and the money of the organization and so many things that, that uh, that's important for. Mm-hmm. Does it always revolve around um, the, the time element though, like from 90 minutes to 11 minutes or, you know, what other elements could that apply to? Well, you obviously have to have your goals in place like we talked about to the purpose. So that particular course was 99% of awareness. Hey, if you do this, we're going to get fined. Basic stuff. You don't need 90 minutes to do that. Um, So one of the things that marketers do a lot better than us is they're limited to 30 seconds or 60 seconds. And they have this efficiency of messaging, which I think we really need to look at and try to emulate more. For sure. And and where we tend to also often end up being much more informational, they are always looking to prompt um, an action, you know, a call to action and emotion. or something. Yeah. 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 yeah there's interesting go ahead. data around uh, what percentage of human behavior is controlled by our subconscious mind. And it's not 
facts and figures and logic that drive behavior. Mm -hmm. It's emotion. And so we've got to really speak to that to get people's attention and drive them to action. Yeah, for sure. Which is interesting to me, and it always has been because the emotion is always the part that gets taken out first when you're running something through committee, for example, yep. right? You know that it's like, oh no, no, I can't do that. No, 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 can't do that. No, can't do that. And what you're left with is just the 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 dry, plain facts of something, and and because that's what's legally, you yeah. know, doable. And then, and so you've got, you've got no choice but to deliver that. And so how, and you can't impact the emotion, it, which is required. We now know from neuroscience that you need that in order for learning to take place, for it to stick long-term, for it to drive that behavior change. So what have, have you been able to do anything to get past that? Like, for example, do you, is, do you have a particular case study or, or experience of somebody that said, no, you can't do that, but you were able to change their mind? Well, not specifically. We, we've we dealt with a lot of compliance teams, and some of them are more challenging to work with than others. Yeah. One of the things we always do is we try to push on them a little bit. And so we try to not sneak things in, but add those elements sort of subtly so it's not you know it's not like a crazy over the top sort of thing but we try to work that stuff in as much as possible because people are human and they don't like boring stuff and we don't like to build boring stuff so we try to add some personality to it kent's got a comment uh, he's noting first off that this first part is sarcastic but don't you need at least 80 minutes to read the entire text of the legislature to your learners uh, but but then he is asking, you know, how do you sell that content to, without boring uh, the learners to death? Noting, he said, uh, he wants to saw a course based on scenarios and choices to approach this problem. And it's reminding me of something that uh, that I was fortunate to work on a number of years ago, an organization that had the annual um, Thou Shalt Not, uh, you know, like a legal compliance type course. Um, they provided the document and the rules, but the, the, the course itself was all about contextualizing that about putting that into the context everything started with a little scenario what would you do you know you you know this information about something what do you do what's the and then um, as part of that evoking the the importance of that information etc and then also then helping people understand the pathways to report something you know you know who do you go to if, if you're in this kind of a situation as well so it was um, and it was and it was the client team from our perspective, it was the client team that brought that perspective to us to, to work on it. So, um, in, you know, 10 years ago already, but that was a very, um, a very fortunate, you know, circumstance of that particular client team was saying, no, this is, this is what we know we need to do because there's a 22 page PDF that they have to read anyway. Yeah. I'm a big fan of putting people in situations and asking them to make a decision and applying that knowledge so it's ultimately about mm -hmm. how do you apply what you learn and then if they get it right they great they know it if not then give them the support after the fact and I think it's a lot more effective way and more efficient because you don't have to do things they already know so yeah I'm a big fan of that approach yeah so, so Kent has a follow-up question though asking you know how do you how do you actually sell that to um, 
to say people in your compliance department, et cetera, how do you help them, I guess, see the, the, the benefit of, of kind of switching or, or shifting that, that perspective to something that's um, a little different maybe than what they had in mind? Yeah, so I think everybody is open to, you know, if you can reframe that in terms of, hey, there's a more efficient way to do this. Uh, it's also more effective. Uh, one of my favorite books is Performance Consulting by uh, Jim and Dana Robinson. Dick Hanshaw is now in on the re most recent edition. But they've got some really great strategies for reframing those conversations. And there's an old improv trick that works really well when you get these conversations. You don't want to say no. You say yes and say yes, we can build your course. And would you like to explore some more efficient, more effective alternatives? Who would who would you know re refuse that? You know, when it, when most it, of the time. The part that as soon as the part where they refuse it is when you tell them the price tag because oftentimes to do something that's a little bit more advanced with a, you know, a little bit more creativity with maybe some more media elements that's more engaging, takes a little bit of effort, takes a little bit more design time, maybe development time, not a lot, but oftentimes the price tag jumps up. And so that often is the trigger that makes them go, yeah, you know, that's great. We would love it to be effective, but we really just want to check the box and just pay the minimum amount of money. <laughs> well, I think, the way you calculate the cost matters too, right? Because it may cost more development time, but if you consider 90 minute course versus 11 minute course times 30,000 people, well then the cost is a pretty good deal because you're yeah. the other version, you do the math and you know, that's a million extra dollars. And th there, are other, away from there are other costs you can bring into the conversation too. Like what are the actual risks if someone doesn't do the thing that they need to do, especially like, you know, in a compliance kind of situation, what are the, um, the risk is a, is a hidden or a uh, not hidden cost, but a, a, a cost that's always lurking there too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I coach basketball, my daughter's a basketball team and it's about putting them in situations and increasing the number of opportunities they have for making those decisions. So these compliance policies, sometimes you may encounter that in real life. It may be five or 10 years from now when you encounter it. But if you give people and put them in that situation, you know, every year or whatever the cadence is, in five or 10 years, they're gonna know what to do. I like yeah. that word cadence, by the way, that's a nice, uh phrasing well <laughs> i could talk about this stuff all day and you know compliance is a particular everybody has to deal with it and why do we put people once a year through a course and never talk about it the rest of the year it's, it's insane it makes no sense so i don't know why we don't take at a minimum parts and pieces out of the course and drip that out across the year for reinforcement mm -hmm. So those are, those are easy things. Yeah, and not even for reinforcement, right? You could, in essence, make those little bits that are presented or sent out throughout the whole entire year be the entire course, right? It's just that you're you're 
teaching it in small chunks, reinforcing it, teaching the next thing, reinforcing those two things, and then just sort of, yeah. you know, stacking it up as you go along. Easy. I think the part where people get concerned that that's not going to work is when they have lots of turnover in the middle of the year and new hires throughout the whole entire year. So if you start it, how do you, how do you deliver that year long compliance course to somebody, uh, you know, that's unique to them and the date that they started and all that kind of stuff. And I think people just kind of freak themselves out and go, no, let's just go back to the whole two hour course. So that's a great scenario and it's a perfect situation for something like a MailChimp, right? I can create an autoresponder. The first email, if you're the new hire, you get the first one when you come on board, dedicated sequence, easy. Yeah, and then that sequence is the same for everyone, and it starts when they start, and then you've and you've, right. you've established, you know, that there's a pattern there. Yeah, and you have some nice data. You can say, did they open it? Did they read it? Did they click the button I told them to click? And you have some visibility into that. It's interesting that you mentioned that the uh, Mailchimp because we talk a lot about how marketing has had these really great tools for so many years now. And, and the e-learning professionals have just sort of struggled with the same tools forever. It, it always baffled me that marketers were able to get so much data and yet we would struggle. Why don't we just use their tools? And so it, it always strikes me as really cool when I hear somebody like yourself say, yeah, just use MailChimp. And people go, what? And it's not difficult. You could sit down in an afternoon, get the basics and you're pulling existing content into it a couple of hours you've got it ready to go you got a whole mail chip delivered e-learning course and if you i think there's a you know, merge these things together somewhere. again thinking like marketers in terms of a campaign right i'm going to see it in yeah. lms and i'll see it in my email and i'll see it you know maybe in the lunchroom or whatever that's a much more effective approach than here once a year here's course. Good luck. Right. Can we use XAPI then to share that data across the LMS and all the other tools that need it? You know, that's a great question. I would love to, to try that out. Uh, <clears throat> we'll get to, but I, I would be surprised if you couldn't. Yeah, there's stuff, there, there's stuff I'm sure that you could do to connect to at least some portions of that for sure. Deborah's noting in the, in the comments, we used to have a HIPAA email blast uh, every week with questions and scenarios and answers. And that's, yeah, that keeps it, awesome. keeps it top of mind, right? And I love yeah. that piece that you're involving people and in facilitating conversation because that's even better because you're going to get questions on gray areas you never maybe even thought of. Yep. And so you can take those thoughts and answers and elevate them to everyone. Mm -hmm. Are you even getting, um, uh, putting in something in a place where people can actually share their own, uh, you know, their own situations. Like I was, you know, in this particular case and I wasn't even sure what to do with the more, um, the more realistic that those things come uh, as opposed to sort of abstract from the, the brains of the training team or whatever the, then that, that level of authenticity then also carries an emotional, um, weight to it as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the response we should be going for, right? Like responses to reality and real situations. 
Well, wasn't that the original dream of social media and enterprise social media coming in? I mean, when when I mean, I mean, Mike, you remember back in the day when when all this stuff first started coming out, the conversations, all those of us that were in the industry and whatnot, these this is what we were excited about, right? It was like, wow, people can be sharing and talking to each other via these social enterprise tools and and uh, you know, send out an email blast with scenarios and questions, and then have people move those conversations into the social network and start having those open dialogues and conversations. It seems to have taken us a long time <laughs> to actually make that a reality. And I'd even argue that in a lot of places, people still aren't taking advantage of it uh, for whatever reason, and I don't know why. I think part of it is you've got to have leaders leading in that front. So back when I worked at American Electric Power, we had a uh, I don't know, high level. He I think he was running in Texas or something, and he started to to use that. He put out regular things, and all of a sudden, all the people in Texas were now on that platform. Amazing how that works when he's saying this is where I'm going to communicate, that's where people will go. Uh, yeah. And then after he left, nobody else picked it up and it died. So you gotta have leaders being active and, and leading there. And then the other piece I think that is a challenge when we're trying to tie all this stuff together is you know, performance is impacted by hiring and resources and training and there's all these elements and I've never seen all of those under one umbrella. So you're yeah. dealing with the training department and management and safety, and they never have this holistic view of, of what's happening to work together. So that's, that's always a challenge. Yeah, sometimes the, uh, the silos get in the way for sure. And it's, what? No, silos? We don't work in silos. <laughs> and sometimes you get into the habit of, you know, I have my screening hammer and everything looks like a nail. <laughs> and yeah. you, you, sometimes you have to step step back and get the bigger picture and get out of that problem of uh, the blind men and the elephant. <laughs> right. Um, and a lot of times, uh, I, I know we kind of say this over and over again, too, but... Uh, um, you know, what is the problem that's, that's going to be solved? And, and then from, and that's the nail, or maybe it's not a nail, it's a screw or whatever, but it requires, you know, what, what tools does that problem then point to as, as suitable right. things, as opposed to, like we said, uh, near the beginning, just hey, being told we need a course on this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'd rather have really good questions than great answers to the wrong question. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, to, to stick with your analogy, the question is always hang a picture on the wall and then we never ask, well, would you like us to paint the picture? Would you like us to buy the picture? Would you like it to be just a blank canvas? Would you like us to cut out a picture from a magazine? Uh, how would you like it hung on the wall? Do you want screws in the wall? What kind of wall is <laughs> what it? What do you want a picture, picture of? <laughs> yeah, what would you like the picture to be of, right? They just say, we want a picture on the wall. Well, clearly, would you like us to paint the wall? It, clearly, it's it's going to be dogs playing cards. We we know the picture already. <laughs> On velvet. On velvet. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> cool. Clearly, the velvet uh, Elvis. 
<laughs> Mike, you were, you were, we, you, know, you mentioned earlier a little bit about uh, you know the marketing. What are some of the other things that uh, that people can sort of pull from that marketing world, maybe to help them with this uh, with this conundrum that we face? Well, I think, like we said, the biggest one is just sort of appealing to emotions. Mm -hmm. uh, the second piece is like Brent was mentioning is look at what the marketers are doing. What tools are they using? Uh, steal stuff from them, MailChimp and just design approaches and creativity. Uh, you know, I think no matter what field you're in, you get outside of that to see what's happening in other places. You know, oftentimes the biggest leaps forward don't come from something that's totally new. It's from combining two things or using something in a new context. So, you know, one of the things that I'm hoping to do here soon is, I, you know, I want to start getting to the marketing conferences and see, okay, what's the latest and greatest there, and what can I steal and pull into what we do. Mm -hmm. One of the things I've always fascinated by from the marketing world is how much that when uh, you know when, when a marketing team is um, you know firing on all cylinders. Um, a B testing, you know, multiple versions of something and then, then putting that out in the world, determining, okay, this one works better than those ones. So now how do we compare this against something else? And uh, it becomes, it's maybe a difficult thing in our world because we need to know that people, you know, had all the same information, et cetera. But um, the marketing A B approach is maybe sometimes just refining how things are phrased in order to something produces a a, a measurable increase in people clicking, you know, on that button, for instance, and uh, um, it's it seems to me like something that um, that our world, you know, should be thinking about trying to figure out how to, you know, how to use that to actually improve what we do. Yeah, that reminds me. I think it, if I had to pick just one superpower for an L and D, if I'm building the L and D robot, I, the thing I would take for marketing would be their writing. Mm -hmm. Right, like it's super tight, it's super personable and human, right? It's really human and it doesn't, you know, you put that next to L&D writing, you know, which is often dry and sleep inducing. And so like if I could pick one thing from marketing, I would like take their writing. Yeah, I think that, yeah that it's voice. a it's like the difference between uh, good script writing and bad script writing, right? I think we take a lot from the uh, technical writing world as opposed to the marketers take more from the creative yeah. writing world. And they, they also spend a lot more time taking that audience into consideration, right? I mean, if you're going to, they think about who they're selling to first, what's the language that they speak? What, what are the terms that they use? What's the vernacular in that part of the world or that particular, um, you know, 18 to 24 demographic or whatever, you know, and then they, they use the words and the phrasing that are going to most appeal to them. Whereas we just kind of want it to be precise. Right. <laughs> That's a huge one. I'm glad you said that. I think empathy is a, a large part of that. Uh, marketers use personas. So who are these people to you know, a little bit more detail than we typically do in our analysis steps, you know, down to the fact of what time of day are they consuming our content and what channels are they already on? Let's go there. 
And so th that's another really great thing for marketing that we can adopt. Brent, you were saying we, we tend to look on precision. I would also say that we often in the L&D world look on um, or look for including absolutely everything. You know, we need to put it all in just in case, you know. Um, yeah. Whereas, um, you know, in the marketing world, as, as Mike noted earlier, you got on a commercial, you've got 30 seconds to catch people's imagination and then try to drive them to, to change their behavior or, or, or carry out a behavior. So. You don't well, think about how, think about like billboard. They got less than 30 seconds, right? They've right. got like a glance, somebody glancing off the street <laughs> at the billboard sign while they're driving. They got that much time to try to sell a product or convince a behavior change or have you turn off at the next thing when you really didn't want to, you know, uh, uh, you know, that, I mean, I think if we started thinking more like that's only amount of time we had can we change somebody's behavior that quickly heck if they can do it or at least have a little bit of an influence and i'll uh, bet nobody's sure. ever seen a bullet point on a billboard <laughs> <laughs> or a or a or an objective yeah, a well this billboard's going to take you <laughs> <laughs> then it goes to the next billboard <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Hope they don't turn before they get there. Yeah, before they get to the second or third one. Yeah. The, the billboards don't have the, the objectives, but you know that there are objectives behind every one of those. Uh, behind every one of those, oh, yeah. you know. Behind it <laughs> yeah. is the key word. Behind it. Yeah. That's one of my pet peeves. I could get up on my soapbox about that. <laughs> I, my, one of my pet peeves is, uh, the, and it's similar to that, but it's the um, how to take this course. Um, <laughs> You're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the forward button. Yeah. Okay. He's like, uh, what? I yeah, know. I had uh, recently a client ask us to put sort of in the, you know, the screen up front with the instructions. It was, I think it was how to either resize a browser or how to close the browser. But no, we don't need that. <laughs> I, I, I will say though, I will say in, in our defense, I, I will I will I will be the devil's advocate and play the other side of the equation. If we knew our audience appropriately, I would say that in certain instances our audiences do need that. Sure. And um, also particular tools that we're introducing to get people to experience something new, like virtual reality, for example, sure. could definitely benefit from a how to use this technology, how to get the best, uh, you know, how to, how to get the most out of this experience uh, type of thing. Um, because we did that in the early days, right? When we were building CD-ROMs way back, um, you know, nobody, like most people didn't understand how to navigate multimedia. They didn't know what a next button was yet. And so we had to have a little module up front that said how to navigate this course. Mm -hmm. Right. I I think what now 30 some years on, <laughs> most people have been on yeah. the internet, right? You know, <laughs> Bianca Bauman always likes to use this example of, you know, you go to Google, there's no instructions. If you click on a search result, you know, there's no check mark icon after you visit it, right? Like we can figure this out. Yeah. 
And it's true, but like I said, there are certain situations where I think of yeah, yeah. a little, yeah. you know, for the most part, our interfaces, a really well done interface design or user experience should be completely transparent to the user, right? I mean, that's the ultimate goal is like, if you just sort of can engulf the user in the experience or as the user, you just feel like everything disappears and the only thing you're interacting with is the content and it's yeah. just your thinking and you're in fully engaged in it. That of course is the ultimate uh, experience. And I, I think we're going to get there with virtual reality and, and augmented reality and some of those advanced tools, but we're in that transition phase right now where, you know, we're, we're not quite there with those tools, but we absolutely are there with the internet and how to browse and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Ed, Ed's, uh, Ed's siding with you here, uh, Brent, noting, you know, in this day and age, having to explain what the hamburger item is, seems crazy, but certain people do need help. And yeah, I would never advocate for, for throwing someone under the bridge uh, or under the, under the, under the bus, uh, you know, or leaving them stranded or, or not being helpful. Um, but there are certain things that, that, are, that, are, that we've been doing for 20 years in most e-learning type courses in particular that um, we could probably look at and think, hmm, you know, what is this needed? Is this time being well spent or? There's also an aspect of if I built something that has a hamburger menu, and I'm getting all kinds of support calls and questions and whatever, be responsive and change it, mm -hmm. right? Like you know, on the yeah. web, you change it. It seems like once the course goes into LMS, it's there forever. So just back to what we were talking about earlier, facilitating conversations and listening. So if you have a problem, then fix it. You know, that's not a difficult thing, but it doesn't happen as often as I think it should. Yeah, and that, that's always been my most recent strategy over the past few years when I coach people on how to do this and, and whatnot. It's that the iterative approach is more important now than ever. I mean, it, create something fast, release it, get somebody to look at it, get your users to look at it, get the feedback, update it, change it, release it again. And, you know, keep doing that because, uh, you know, it seems very simple and mundane, but it, for me, it, one of the things years was even somebody the content, even if it is a technical manual, sometimes that's all they wanted. They came to you asking for a course, but really all they were doing was yeah. looking for the information because they could find nothing. Yeah. And so they went to training and said, do you have any training on this? And instead of saying, oh, we're creating that and it'll be done in six months, you could have just said, oh, here's the technical document that we're using to create the training. How about we just make this accessible for you? More often than not, I discovered that if I just gave people access to the current stuff that existed, they didn't want training anymore. Yeah. They, didn't, they didn't come back because they had what they needed. So that was a big light bulb for me that went off a few years back. And I thought, access to content. Wow. And I'm, it seems so simple, but yeah. sometimes that's all people need. And I'm sure you've experienced this too, where we often are sort of this center point for technical material and marketing and operations that none of those people speak to each other. And we can sort of pull that stuff together. And if we you know, use empathy and think about the learners in our audience, well, a 
okay, well, what are they going to need? And how can I pull that all together for a nice experience for them to make it simple and easy and accessible? Then I think that's a huge opportunity for us if we look at it in that perspective. Jonathan's thrown a neat strategy and give them the manual then ask them to be a, a SME for your course six months later. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, then it's, it's sadly in our world for the longest time, it's been it build either this or this or this or this, like you get, like you can only choose one, you know, my, you know, today's strategy is build this and this and that and that and that, right? Build them all. And tie them together. So yeah. And, and blend link them all and make them connected and give people access to all of the different things. If they want to look at a video or a course that's 90 minutes, great. Do they just want to read the technical document on their own and download it? Great. Give them that. Maybe they want to hear it in a podcast format while they're working out. Okay. Listen to technical documents while you work out. Great. Some people totally dig that. Others, maybe not so much, you know, uh, there's, there's really no reason why we shouldn't be creating all of these different types of media experiences because we can. And I would echo that wholeheartedly. And I would add, give them a channel to communicate. To come back, yeah. And make all of that stuff easy to share with each other and have conversations about. Mm-hmm. And that's an order of magnitude on increasing effectiveness of what you're doing. Yeah. And that might be an excellent point for us to stop on, Chris. What do you think? I think we've reached our time, yeah. We've uh, we've maxed out. <laughs> Funny, but... I told you, I could go on for days. I know. That's the thing, which says a lot both about our, our passion and our, our interest, but it also speaks a lot to, you know, the industry as a whole, too, that uh, that we there's a lot of new things that we could be, we could be taking on and doing. Uh, so I'm just checking in because Jonathan's thrown a couple of things in here. Uh, usually the process goes like this. Number one, oh crap, I have to create a learning. Step two, I must become an expert, exclamation mark. Step three, now to prove myself, I'll punish everyone for my research. Yeah, put it all in there. I knew, I spent all this time and gosh darn it, you're going to do it too. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to write it in some incoherent academic speak that only certain other people can read and normal people can't. Yeah. Been that's there, not that. good uh, well right? Jens thanks so much for the conversation uh, it's been fabulous there we absolutely. go absolutely thanks All right. for inviting me along oh our pleasure Mike thanks for coming hope you come back again and we'll, we'll explore some other topics Any- and thanks to everybody who joined us some great questions in the, in the conversation chats today and uh, as always join us again for the next episode of instructional designers in offices or hotel rooms drinking coffee Cheers. From the road, ladies and gentlemen, from the road. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, gang. Talk to you later. Yeah. Take care. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Appreciate it.